0: Good evening, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Red Pill News. As always, I'm your host, Zach Payne, the Corruption Detector, and tonight I'm going to be joined by a good friend of mine, returning guest, Jeffrey Peterson. If you were following me back when I was on YouTube, then you may remember Jeff. Jeff came forward with some explosive revelations about the Corruption that was endemic in Democrat political circles in the Southwest. Obviously, a lot's changed, but a lot of things have stayed exactly the same, if you really think about it. So I've got plenty of questions for Jeff about what he sees happening on the national stage, how that might coincide with the things he saw in the past. And of course, we got to figure out what's Jeff been up to for the last two years. I guarantee you, he's been doing Patriot stuff. Do me a favor. Don't forget to like and share the broadcast. Help us by getting it out there on your favorite social media platforms. All right, guys, and without further ado, please... Welcome, my guest, Jeffrey Peterson, to the program. And thank you very much, very everyone, for being here. I appreciate it. Jeff, thank you for joining us as well. Before we begin, I just need to give a big shout out to the sponsor of the program. That would be Noble Gold Investments. If you are looking to get into a precious metals or IRA, you can go to noblegoldinvestments.com or you can give them a call at 877-646-5347. Obviously, everything is a little bit uncertain right now. The uh, dollar is fluctuating, as it has been pretty regularly since Joe Biden came into office. But the one thing you can count upon is the uh, solidity of Precious Metals. Uh, they've given me so many awesome coins throughout my time uh, being a, a, a sponsee of them. And right now, if you start your own crypto, excuse me, your own uh, Precious Metals IRA, you can get this beautiful three ounce American Virtues coin. And once again, that's noblegoldinvestments.com, 877-646-5347. Jeff, thank you very much for being here. I appreciate it.
1: Well, it's so great to uh, be back on the show. You always do such great work. It's my privilege.
0: Awesome. So, uh, I just in case we have people out there who were not following me back then, two years ago. Plus, it seems so crazy that uh, it, it's been this long, but um, they may not know who you are. So, um, l- let's give them a little introduction. You know, you started out as a, a bit of, a, I guess, maybe a tech ingenue, isn't that right?
1: <laughs> very, very short version. That's right. Uh, former <laughs> social media founder. I ran one of the top twenty social networks in the history of the United States. Was a company called Kepasa uh, Meet Me. It had about forty million users, uh, forty million active users online. It ran for about twenty years. It traded on the Nasdaq stock market, and it was acquired by Rick Scott uh, before he got into politics in Florida. He was a venture capitalist, so Rick uh, bought my business uh, a little over ten years ago. And that's the history. I started out as a tech guy, and uh, here we are talking politics. What do you know?
0: So it, it's kind of interesting because you were part of the tech scene before they went to the dark side. So you, you never had to really deal with the whole censorship push. or And I mean, I guess things are probably different in the Latin American world, right? I mean, like, uh, how are th- do you know, have you kept up with it? I mean, have you seen if, if they've fallen prey to the same type of uh, censorship that we've had here in America?
1: It's it's really a, a unique story because um, as a Caucasian American who is not Hispanic. I grew up in Southern California. My my parents are as uh, traditional American as it gets. I ended up as the accidental founder of the first and largest bilingual Hispanic social network in the United States. Long story, I won't bore you with it now, but to answer your question, um, and not all of our users were Hispanic because they were U.S.-based, so there, right. was, there was a uh, there was a lot of non-Hispanics in that 40 million active users as well. But we never censored anybody. It never even occurred to us to censor anyone. Um, but boy, times have sure changed, haven't they?
0: Yeah, it's uh, it, it's crazy. It's been a rough ride for a lot of people. You know, we just got done watching President Trump's rally. And uh, I always feel uniquely invigorated after watching him speak. And tonight was a little bit contentious for some of the people in the audience because President Trump has endorsed uh, Mehmet Oz, uh, I believe, for uh, Senate there in Pennsylvania. And people don't know what to think about that. Um, You know, I mean, I'm of the opinion that President Trump is a strategist. You know, I mean, if he chooses to do or say something, there is uh, some meaning behind it. And perhaps meaning that we're never really ever going to be privy to. You know what I'm saying?
1: Yep, absolutely.
0: President Trump likes to pick winners and and I think that that was evident with uh, you know, his constant uh, you know, driving at home that he's 56 and 0 now, you know, in primaries. He 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 nominates somebody, he says, you know, this person has my endorsement and that person wins. Now, you know, Oz is not a favorite among conservative circles. I think a lot of people see him as a recent convert uh and uh it was also recently revealed that he is a member of the world economic forum which mm. a lot of people find to be very troubling especially considering everything we've dealt with for the last couple of years klaus schwab and you know the covid-19 the great reset um yeah. but but i think jeff that the important thing for us to remember and i think that what we've kind of learned over the last couple of years Uh, is that the only way we're going to set America free, the only way that we're really going to beat these evil people that have completely consumed the political scene here in America is for us to do it. You know, it's up to the American people. This was always a job that was too big for one man. President Trump did some amazing things. He came into office. He very quickly uh, changed our quality of life in, in a number of different ways, very, very positively. But I think that it was too much for just him. He needed to galvanize the rest of the country. And uh, I don't know if you've seen this where you are, but it sure feels to me that we have more America first people today than we did on election day in November 2020.
1: Yeah, the uh, resident that is occupying the White House is like a red pilling machine.
0: Absolutely. I agree with you. (laughs) Absolutely agree with you. And I just I don't know that that could have happened if we would have done it the way that a lot of people wish that we had i think that everything is going to be okay in the end i think president trump is going to return i truly believe that we're going to see the guilty prosecuted for their crimes against you know not just america but humanity but i just don't know that it could have happened uh, if if we had him slide into office in in uh, in january of 2021 and everybody would have just kept going on with their uh, their beautiful cushy lives you know i mean now we've real we've tasted how bad things can get. And I think a lot of people are just at the point where they're saying, no more, I'm not willing to do this anymore. So we have to work together. We have to get great people into office and uh, and we need to get behind the right candidates. And if that means Kathy Barnett in, uh, in Pennsylvania, then I think that means Kathy Barnett in Pennsylvania. Now, your kind of path through life, I mean, it took you from the tech world straight into politics there in uh, in Arizona. Um, you know, just for anybody who didn't catch us the uh, uh, the first time we did the interview, you know, how did you make that transition? What was that about? Yeah,
1: well, my business, um, in Arizona was really, I guess it was the second publicly traded uh, big internet company in the state of Arizona. Everybody knew it. Um, I'll, again, I'll save you the long story, but the, the short story is there's only been a few big tech companies out of Arizona, right? Whether you like them or not, probably the first one was called Insight. They used to put out a big computer catalog. I
0: remember that. The, sec-
1: the second one was Kipasa, my company. And probably the third biggest company that everybody knows, tech company from Arizona was GoDaddy. Um, oh, yeah. And so- some conservatives don't like them. I understand that. But nevertheless, they're a big tech company. So that's that's a very short history of technology companies in Arizona. But by, by being the founder of the first consumer-facing Uh, social network that came out of the state of Arizona, I got a lot of attention, a lot of ability to do things. And uh, I thought it was a good decision at the time to be friendly with our state's governor. That was Janet Napolitano. I was never a political person. I just thought, hey, I'm in downtown Phoenix. I'm a few blocks away from the state capitol. Why not be involved uh, in in state politics? And being from California, as a California native, um, my family always believed, we had this like ingrained belief that quote unquote, Democrats were nicer, right? Yeah. We, we, we'd say like all those Republicans, they're, they're heartless. They're a bunch of meanies. And so not, not having any idea what I was doing, um, I volunteered to help out uh, on the Governor's Arizona-Mexico Commission. It was an office of the governor in Arizona. Um, and uh, before I knew it, I was there with the people that were running the state. Pretty, pretty uh, amazing, bizarre story, really. But that's how it happened.
0: Well, and I, I'm sure as as much as you wanted to ingratiate yourself with the powerful people, I mean that's a good business sense, you know. I'm I'm sure that they also wanted to ingratiate themselves with you. I mean, the tech bubble, uh, you know, no matter you know how badly it popped at a certain point. I mean, it was quite obvious uh, very early on that technology was the future, and if you were going to make money. Somehow, you had to be tied to technology the web in in one way or the uh, one way or another, and certainly politics is driven by money, so yeah. they would want to be able to get as close to that cash as they possibly could
1: yeah, that's right, and that was uh kind of the basis of the relationship What it evolved into they They asked for help on Mexico policy because I was running a big Hispanic social network, and I had offices in Mexico. And, and like I said before, I'm not a Hispanic guy. I I taught myself Spanish. It was, it was very bizarre, actually. I flunked out of eighth grade eighth grade Spanish when I was younger. And it's like one of those movies where uh, uh, the Caucasian guy wakes up in a Spanish-speaking country and all of a sudden he can speak the language. That's how I felt. But anyways, they, they acted like they wanted help on Mexico policy, like to tap into, you know, supposedly what I knew about technology business in Mexico. But that wasn't what they really wanted. What they really wanted was connections to technology based donors for the for the Democrat Party, and, and I ended up enabling some of that for them, which is a huge regret of mine. But, anyways, hindsight is twenty twenty.
0: So, just looking back with uh, you know a little bit of that hindsight, uh, do you see any parallels to the direction that America is going? Uh, you know, to what you experienced in, in Arizona those years ago.
1: Well, absolutely, because it's it's like uh, you know, pardon my French. It's the same damn people, right? You just can't get rid of them, like Pelosi and uh, they were there back then too. These are what do we call them, lifers, right? And they're the same people doing the same tricks, telling the same lies, and they just get more entrenched in their positions every year. You you wonder if they're ever going to leave.
0: I think that they're going to eventually, but only once they're, uh, you know, forced out by infirmity, maybe, you know, I mean, uh, there, what, there was recently some talk about um, Diane Feinstein uh, being mentally incompetent to uh, hold on to her office. I couldn't believe she actually came out and commented <laughs> like, I mean, it must have come from one of her aides or something. Did she?
1: I didn't. I, I, I'm a Californian, so I should know that. But <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't be surprised.
0: Wow. Um, so some of the players that, that, uh, that you were involved with back then, do you still see them actively engaged in the Arizona political scene?
1: Yeah, they run things, but their deal is they do what they do, quote unquote, through other people, right? Whenever you get to know someone real well over a period of time, you, you learn their tricks, right? And I, unfortunately, uh, know these people very well. And so, uh, absolutely. I, when you and I spoke last a few years ago, when, when we were both on Twitter uh, as a sort of a primary social media base, um, I was uh, publishing articles about how uh, this group was running DHS, Homeland Security, through proxies. And they're still doing that today. This gentleman that's in DHS, Mr. Mayorkas, he's, he's their front man. He's their stooge. He's run by Jen Napolitano's group, who's the former DHS uh, secretary under Mr. Obama, who a lot of people feel is actually running the White House these days. So it makes sense if that's what you believe.
0: Yeah, I, I tend to agree, agree with you there. What What is Janet Napolitano up to publicly? I mean, is, is she just like, you know, a retired elder statesman who is pulling the, the strings behind the scenes?
1: Yeah, um, they, they do consulting contracts, quote unquote. They, they have businesses. They get paid primarily by foreign governments to peddle influence, right? That's what that's what all these people do. They're influence peddlers. Yeah. So,
0: did you did you know Alejandro Mayorkas? Were you familiar with him before he was uh, uh placed in this thro- in his throne?
1: Well, I knew he was one of their people years ago. I mean, they they and they've publicly stated as a matter of fact. This is not an opinion or a guess or a or a quote-unquote conspiracy theory. This is fact. F A C T. Mr. Mayorkas was brought into DHS by General Napolitano's group. And uh they have publicly stated including uh dennis burke who's janet napolitano's number two um, he has publicly stated that he uh uh, was and janet was instrumental in putting him into his position in dhs so it's no secret
0: i often wonder how alejandro mayorkas feels about uh the way things are going right now you know i mean i i don't understand how anybody could sit in any position of power at dhs like literally watching as people are just streaming across the border. Uh, the country is crumbling. They're about to end Title 42. I mean, that's going to be in a matter of days. Uh, you know, if it, it hasn't happened already. And, uh, you know, once that happens, we're literally going to watch the floodgates just come swinging open. And it, it's going to completely overwhelm the system. Uh, you know, the, the, my heart really goes out to the people on the southern border. I mean, this is not going to be a fun time.
1: It doesn't make sense until you understand that Mexico's PRI political party is designing those policies and enacting them through the uh, corrupt apparatus of the United States Democratic Party through the individuals uh, that I'm uh, at least in part mentioning to you now. And then it, ma- then it makes perfect sense when you understand, because if you're looking at it from the American side, you say, who in the world, what president in the world would allow this, would just open the border and say, okay, everybody in, we have no, we're not even going to try to stop. Who would do that? No president of American history has done that. I believe there's never been a time in American history where Mexico's PRI, their longest standing, uh, best funded, most influential political group, and this is what I used to talk about on Twitter, and it's still true today, where the Mexican PRI had so much leverage over the United States Democratic Party And they do through the former DHS director's group, Janet Napolitano's group, who put in Mr. Mayorkas as their front man and designs his policy based on the advice he gets from them, right? Then all of a sudden, it makes sense. You've effectively got Mexico running the United States border. How do you like that? All of a sudden, it makes perfect sense what's happening.
0: Oh, certainly it does. The last time we spoke, actually, I mean, it seemed like the PRI might be on their way out. Uh, there was a new president that had been elected and he was not part of the PRI. He was, you know, kind of the the exact opposite. What do you think is happening down there?
1: Well, they they like to say that, right? It, it, it took me many, many years to find the right word to describe the Mexican PRI to Americans, because it's very easy to use disparaging words, foul words, swear words, but it's not the right word. And so I, I took many years to find that word. And the way I describe the PRI now is that they're Clever. And I'm pretty sure that's the right word. They, they play dumb. They play like they've been... Def- this is a, part, a political party that's been around for a hundred plus years. Mm-hmm. And they're caught by authoritative publications. They're called the most influential, the most corrupt. They've put the most presidents into office. They steal elections. They control the states in Mexico. It's a long story about the PRI. And Americans don't understand what it is, but they're essentially the Mexican deep state. And that'll explain it for you. And so they say things... Like, oh yeah, the PRI is broke. We've lost all of our power because somebody else is in office. But it's never true. Saying the PRI is uh, is lacking in power is uh, the equivalent to saying um, some uh, lifelong influential figure in D.C. no longer is effective. Like, I don't know, pick your pick your person. Kissinger Hillary is, Clinton,
0: right?
1: <laughs> right? It's like it's like saying that it's like saying the Clintons have no power anymore. Yeah. Right.
0: So so you know, I, th- I think, you know, I can kind of draw a parallel to what we saw during Trump's first four years in office. You know, although he was president, although his administration was running the government, I mean, it was quite clear that there was another shadow apparatus that was working behind the scenes and, you know, thwarting yeah. at different places, uh, you know, pushing their influence in, into areas of the administrative branch of government, um, I- ensuring that whatever they wanted to happen would somehow break through whatever policy Trump was trying to institute.
1: That's right. And he was fighting them the whole time he was yeah. there.
0: Yeah. So <clears throat> the PRI, uh, you say that they are the the Mexican deep state. I recently saw, um, uh, it was a, a documentary about a PRI figure uh that in I think this was in like the early 90s maybe it was the early 2000s uh that was uh, that was part of major drug running operations um and I want to I don't I can't remember it was connected to a major drug lord might have even been like the uh, like the Colombian cartel Colombian cartel working with the Mexican cartel and then this uh figure that was um you know at the helm of it but he was also like in the seat of power in the government um is is this all about drugs the proliferation of drugs or or is are drugs just one sector of their money-making scheme that they have going on down there
1: yeah that's uh that's a great question i learned so much about mexico as i said it's it's very bizarre to be uh traditional american born and raised caucasian and end up running a a company that has a technology company. Nonetheless, it has offices in Mexico for so many years. I was in and out of that country for years. So I had many conversations with politicians and and people that some were more friendly than others, very high ranking, um, both, both poor and very wealthy. So I got a lot of different opinions on things and I think I have a pretty good feel for it. And I'll say this, the mainstream belief, and I don't, I'm not talking about brainwashing, uh, Publications like mainstream media, but the the mainstream sociological belief in Mexico is that uh, the drug trade is such a big part of the economy and it's so integrated into the economy that Mexico is at this moment a de facto narco state. Right. That that being said, there's a lot more stuff there, and the economy is huge. It's 110 million people, so you can't you can't take out their other industries like petroleum and raw materials. And everything. So they do have a huge economy. I don't know what percentage of it is. Narco stuff, but it's very big. Thirty percent, fifty percent—probably less than fifty percent, I hope—but it's gigantic.
0: So, what is the end result that they're looking for? Pushing all of these illegal immigrants across the border into America. I mean, is that all about uh, the the financial aspect, or, or do you think that there is some other piece to this that I'm not picking up on?
1: Well, going back to the word that I used to describe. Them, if I can call the uh, the PRI political party them, um, that word was clever, right? So the reasoning is alt- is often multifaceted. You know, it's not just one thing. It's not like they, it's not like they just want to help the Democrats get more voters, right. or they or they just want to, you know, send a certain amount of trafficking through, um, or that they just want to increase. Uh, Hispanic influence in the United States because Hispanics in the U.S. can vote in Mexican elections too. I mean, there's there's, there's a lot of reasons. It's all of those things. But I will say this, uh, it benefits the Mexico side many times more than it benefits the U.S. side to leave the borders open.
0: So, certainly, all of these people coming here, it's going to decrease the quality of life a little bit. It's going to um, maybe push wages down because you've got people that are willing to do jobs for less money. Uh, It's going to increase the opportunity for, uh, you know, narco trafficking, drugs, and also drug abuse. Uh, so yeah, I mean, it, you're absolutely right. It's almost like an, an an unlimited number of facets on a diamond. You know, I mean, like you just as if you can see light glinting off of it, then they're probably going to be uh, finding a way to to grift on it in some way. Yeah,
1: absolutely, and if you're the American president, there's no question. It's your job to secure that border. And if if the numbers are even a little bit out of whack, you ought to be hauled in front of the federal legislature and made to explain yourself. In this case. We've got this uh, unbelievable situation with uh, we get into a whole conversation about the unauthorized um, uh, representation that's in D.C. right now. But you've got uh, this this Mickey Mouse government that doesn't hold anybody accountable and it appears intentional. They leave the door wide open and walk away. It's unprecedented in American history. And the border agents are very frustrated, by the way. I, I don't know if you've seen some of the videos of border agents calling out their their bosses in conferences that have have been circulating on social media where they say hey man we're trying to do our job something's wrong here you're not giving us any of the tools to do our job what's going on and they're pressured their their bosses yell back at them and say don't ask questions i mean is this even america
0: no it doesn't feel like it it feels like we've been creeping closer and closer to just the ultimate nightmare scenario and this kind of goes back to my original point you know at at what point are these border guards or are these other people that are in positions uh, you know with the authority to be able to do something at what point do they stand up to their bosses uh, and and say you know enough is enough i don't care if you're telling me to not do my job i'm going to go ahead and enforce the laws of this nation because you know every single one of those people took an oath to the constitution and just because you have a, a crappy boss who's following the orders from Joe Biden or Alejandro Mayorkas, I mean, that doesn't mean that you can't follow your oath and actually protect the Constitution and the people of this great nation.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And that oath, of course, and and I just said it, but I'll repeat myself, goes all the way up to the office of the commander in chief, right? So we can just hope at some point there will be accountability because these are egregious acts. I keep hearing uh, recently that um, it's it's expected if there is, uh, and I think there will be, uh, a turnover of the balance of power in the legislature that Biden will be impeached over the border as the number one issue. Maybe number number two might be the Hunter Biden laptop. Rightfully so.
0: Yeah, yeah. I actually just saw that uh, there was some new legal action uh, taken against Biden and a number of other people for uh, actively trying to hide the information on the Hunter Biden laptop. I mean that's like you know one of the biggest scandals I can possibly imagine. I mean that's probably the reason that I was deleted from YouTube um and then Twitter obviously shortly thereafter. Now you you didn't actually get deleted from Twitter did you? I mean like at a certain point you kind of you know you said that's I've said everything that I know and 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 that was it and they didn't come after you.
1: Yeah, um I did I didn't get deleted. I got uh severely impacted in my following. I was I forget what the exact number was. I think I was at about 45,000. It dropped down to about 16,000. But I chose the, uh, uh, instead of being deleted, I did what they wanted and I stopped talking, right? And so my account just sat there. Um, I uh, emailed Twitter recently when uh, some of the recent news about ownership change was happening. And um, I asked support, is it okay if I start publishing again or will I be deleted? They they haven't answered me yet.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I think that, it's probably safe to assume that you should take it easy until Elon actually is sitting at the helm. You know, I'd actually like to get your thoughts on this. I mean, as a, a former tech executive, uh, do you have any thoughts on Elon Musk? And, um, you know, do you have, uh, uh, I guess, you know, a- any idea on, on where his wind is, might be blowing?
1: Yeah, um, I, I don't know, Elon. I, I did meet Jack Dorsey, the founder of Twitter. I've sat and uh, had breakfast with Jack before across the street from Twitter headquarters. That was in 2016. It was the last time I saw him. I was there working on a high-performance database project. Um, I don't know, Elon. I know some of the people around him. Uh, we, we should remember that his rise to his current status of the mega entrepreneur has been very fast. Um, he does not come from money which I think works in his favor. He is yeah. a self, self-made entrepreneur who's taken on an enormous amount of risk. If you go back as recently as 12 years ago, he was broke. He had leveraged everything he had trying to stand up all these businesses he was doing at the same time. So he has taken on an extraordinary amount of risk. Um, he's been through quite a journey. I, I can't vouch for what he'll do in the future. I have no idea. You know, people raise concerns about his interest in transhumanism and artificial intelligence. And yes. I have to agree, those are, those are terribly frightening things. And, and all I can say from the bottom of my heart as a freedom-loving American who I, I, I do love my country, all I can say very sincerely is to Elon, I hope you do the right thing, man. You know, I, I really do. I'm with everybody else. I have no idea what to think about what he will do in the future. He seems to be doing some good stuff now. I'm the eternal optimist. I hope he always does good stuff.
0: I, I I tend to uh I tend to follow your lead there on that. You know, I, I think that Elon Musk is certainly not um forcing anybody to get a neural link. I think that there are people who will probably be lining up to do that. Uh I think it's a bad idea. Um, but you know, we'll never know what happens until people actually go under the knife and decide to get it done. Uh, and I think that hopefully at that point, maybe it'll, it'll be just a, a frightening scenario and, and it won't work out in the way that the people are, are hoping that it will. And then nobody will want it. Uh, well, I mean, back to Jack Dorsey though. Uh, what's, what's your estimation of Jack Dorsey? Because when he was running Twitter, obviously you know, he oversaw a lot of these authoritarian crackdowns that, uh, you know, saw people like myself and many of my colleagues deleted. But he now has kind of come out and said that he has regrets about the way things went. And it seems that he's actually supporting Elon Musk's bid to take over Twitter and turn it into a free speech platform. What do you think about Jack Dorsey?
1: Yeah, I I do have a feel for him because I do know uh, more much more about him actually he's a smart programmer um he's a he's a programmer at heart i say this because there's such a thing as uh, a, a founder of an internet company that is technical or not technical they divide them that way jack is what you call a technical founder which means he knows his trade he's not just some uh dumbbell front man that doesn't know anything like the president of the united states um sorry uh exercising my freedom of speech there but uh but uh, no, Jack is a legitimate technology guy. He, be- he became very, very wealthy and he became removed from the process. And I'm not making any excuses for Jack. I will say this, though. He told me in 2016 that he felt strange about how much money he had, that he was riding the bus to work because it, it helped him to feel more normal. And He was taking the bus every day and he just wanted to circulate with regular people Um, I do know that he got taken out of the day-to-day operations. Uh, He was running some other companies too. You have to remember he's got several other financial companies, uh, fintech companies that he started up. So I I believe him on the one hand, when he says that he got removed from the day-to-day operations and the board took over, I know what it's like to have a bureaucratic board. He certainly had a bureaucratic board, Um, but he's also correct when he says that he ultimately bears responsibility because he was the founder, he was the CEO. And so it, it is on him as much as he would like it not to be. And one more thing I'll say, I'm concerned that Jack was taking too many or uh, or any at all drugs. I, and I don't say that as a joke. I think he was doing mushrooms and other, for years. He, he was sort of completely out of touch with the world. So you have to factor that reality in, too.
0: He's got that kind of wild eyed look about him, you know, and we, I've heard quite a bit about, um, you know, these like Silicon Valley types, uh, uh, like taking a lot of psychedelics or, you know, microdosing, taking just a little bit of acid and going to work every single day. I just don't think that's good for anybody. You know, I've heard, uh, I've heard a lot of different things about research into using certain types of hallucinogenic drugs to like, you know, help people with PTSD or, you know, a variety of things, but just don't know how I feel about people taking major psychedelic drugs like every single day. It just doesn't seem like a, a recipe for success to me.
1: Yeah, it was. It was never my thing. I never even drank alcohol. I was too. I. I always had to work too many hours every day. I had to be at the top of my. I never even wanted to. But I. I you're right. A lot of the Silicon Valley types have done those sorts of things, and Jack Dorsey is one of them. And I'm not disparaging him here. He's spoken about it publicly. This is nothing he hasn't acknowledged himself. So, um, I think he became very wealthy. Uh, he was he was in fact experimenting with psychedelic drugs. He was disengaged. He has a board of directors that was very engaged. The other thing that's disturbing is this bizarre organization that you mentioned, World Economic Forum, they have ties to something like half or more of that Twitter board that took over from Jack. And so these people appear, WF people appear to be everywhere where influence could be exerted. And uh, if nothing else, maybe Alon's, to run the company will install a legitimate board of, of technology executives that are not tied back into some evil political organization
0: yeah I, I I absolutely agree with you and and you know I have I have a good feeling about Elon I think that the the direction he's planning to take this everything that he's kind of signaling up until this point, uh, I think that it bodes really well. I, I think that the revelation the other day that uh, Elon had private conversations with Devin Nunes and President Trump about him buying Twitter, and he was urged on to do it. I think that there is more than than meets the eye here, and it kind of goes back to what I said earlier about Doctor Oz. You know, there is always going to be a tremendous amount of things that have happened behind the scenes, private conversations. You know, different types of uh, business wrangling and and plotting you know that we will never fully understand until somebody writes a book about it until like the the great exposé of of the uh the takeover of of Twitter is revealed you know we're we're just not going to have uh, the inside baseball like we want to and mm-hmm. uh you know i also want to uh, uh comment on what you said there about the boards i think this is one thing that people often forget You know, like there are corporate structures. There are these, uh, you know, these corporate governance boards that are really overseeing all of these different, uh, you know, decisions and the direction that a company goes. And just because you have somebody like Jack Dorsey, who's like the CEO front and center, uh, you know, doesn't mean that he's like going into Twitter and like unilaterally making these decisions. I mean, you have to have everybody there to vote on it. And, um, yeah, and he was doing a lot of other things And I don't want anybody to get me wrong. I'm not like defending Jack Dorsey here, but I think that there are just a, a lot of, there's a lot of different wheels or excuse me, cogs in this machine. You know, there's, uh, um, uh, so much happening. And, uh, in the same way, I've always looked at what president Trump did while he was in office in much the same respect, you know, I mean, he's got, uh, you know, his own people that, that he goes to, you know, for advice or he delegates the, uh, uh, the, the right for these people to make decisions. You know, I mean, you've got the cabinet, they're each taking care of a specific function. And then even below that, you know, you've got all these different offices, these different branches of government and everything is incredibly compartmentalized. And, uh, you know, clearly you have people that are plotting and scheming together. And, uh, but then you've got president Trump at the top. He's like the CEO of the biggest company, uh, on the face of the planet. That was America.
1: And, and that's why people don't like him, because he runs, he, he ran the White House like a business. He would fire people yeah. in, this, in this world where you're supposed to, apparently, if you're a career politician, you're supposed to value loyalty and, and protect your yes men and, and your, your people around you that enact your agenda. Trump was different. He was an outsider. When somebody didn't do their job, he would fire them. And that's, that's the polar opposite of what you see from these career Democrats that, that protect each other and they trade off of their positions They don't run it like a business. There's no accountability in their circles. Accountability is the last thing on their mind. They've got it backwards. They think that they're entitled to be there. They've forgotten that they work for the people.
0: If I had to... uh, make a you know a metaphor for it i'd say that they run it more like a uh, criminal organization uh, much more than they do you know in regards to uh, to a government real quick guys i just need to say thank you for uh, the sponsor for the second half of the show reds with red you can get this today for up to 51% off by going to redswithred.com uh it is a a, a great drink uh, that has eight super fruits in it and it helps with your circulation your energy and uh, also with your youth and vitality So you can go to RedsWithRed.com. The link is in the description below. You can check that out. Uh, So once again, with regard to the um, running of the government like a criminal organization, you know, can you tell us, uh, uh, you know, just a a little bit about uh, some of the things that you witnessed when you were in Arizona? I mean, what was it that made you uncomfortable about uh, the people that you had been associating with and, and made you think that perhaps there was something criminal going on?
1: Well, I didn't realize, uh, I didn't have any idea what was going on. I didn't realize uh, how bad they were until uh, I separated from them and actually started looking back on some of the things that happened. And, and a few of the things they'll tell you right now are egregious. They'll show you just the tip of the iceberg about how bad it really was. But to, to answer your question... Um, while I was in their universe, which was, which was a while, it was something like 15 years, I just noticed that they, were, uh, they, they ran their day-to-day business, uh, political business, like a frat house. And that's not just my opinion. That's been, that's been written in national publications that Janet Napolitano's world is like a frat house. There was a, a lawsuit at, uh, at ICE, a DHS agency, against Napolitano and some of her people for sexual harassment, and they called it Janet's frat house at Immigrations and Customs Enforcement.
0: Now, was, was I mean, Jenna Napolitano was a lesbian, isn't she? So what... When- uh,
1: let, let me answer that question by telling you how she answers that question. What she <laughs> says is, who would have thought that a woman with short hair could become the governor of a conservative state in Arizona?
0: Okay, so it so sounds like it, sounds like it. So but was, but who was Janet Napolitano or who was being sexually harassed in, in that office? Was that men that was, was, were feeling uncomfortable or was it women that were, you know, taking the brunt of the affections of these? Because Janet Napolitano kind of had like a, uh, she had like a pack of people around her that were of a similar ilk, didn't she?
1: Yeah, she did. And and I knew all of them. Uh, so this was, uh, this is a famous case, by the way. You can go look it up in search engine. It's, it's, uh, it was the name of the, D- the ICE employee versus Napolitano. Um, and it, was, it was a detailed case. It was covered by the national media. You just think of the worst harassment lawsuit you've ever heard about uh, you know, that's, that's turned around, some sort of sexual harassment lawsuit. And then imagine for a moment that it was uh, women that were doing the harassing against men but then, but then multiply the, the worst salacious details of it by five, because this was a bad one. And I've never seen that anywhere else. But um, and of course, I didn't see the details of that case personally, but I did notice that they would get uh, drunk to the point of dysfunction essentially every night that I was ever around them after work and, and that it was a constant party. And of course, they had the Secret Service prostitution scandal oh, yes. under her watch at DHS. And they had many other I mean, there's many other signs of, of why they call it Janet's frat house. So I just noticed that they were pretty reckless. Right. And, uh, but, but in, in retrospect, I looked back at some of the things that happened while I was around them. And, uh, we we were running this Arizona Mexico commission that was supposed to be like a state uh, promotion office to to promote goodwill about Arizona and Mexico. It sounded very nice, but I remembered in retrospect one weekend when we had been down in Mexico in a place called Rocky point, uh, and, and we were like manning, uh, just some booths, you know. They had information about Arizona and, and talking to some of the people down there about doing business across the border. It seemed like a nice thing to do. And uh, Janet and her upper people had disappeared for the whole weekend. And We had heard that weekend that Chapo Guzman had brought his convoy into town. It was just a rumor. Like we were asking people on the beach, "How come? How come everybody's leaving? How come there's you know things seem so strange?" And they said, "Well." You know, don't tell anyone, but Chapo Guzman's in town. I never put it together that the reason why her crew disappeared that weekend and her and and what we heard from the locals could have something to do with each other until years later, the Fast and Furious scandal hit, which was Mr. Obama's, one of his biggest scandals, if not his biggest scandal, where it turned out that that group, Napolitano's group, was trafficking weapons into Mexico to Chapo Guzman. Right. And I put that back together in my head and I thought to myself, my gosh, what in the world was happening right under my nose? And and, and while all of us were there, we had no idea these people were this corrupt.
0: Well, that's probably the last thing you think is happening. I mean, if you are close to a, a group of people like that, I think, you know, I remember when Fast and Furious broke and I just remember like how aghast everyone was you know like how could this be the reality that we're living in you know we, our own government got our, our men at the border killed
1: who would have the audacity to use their federal government office to traffic weapons to mexican cartels i tell you who would dennis k Burke, janet napolitano's number 2 who resigned in shame as united states attorney for arizona when he was caught Lying about it, right? Because he tried to cover it up. That's who would have the audacity. That's the, uh, that's the same crew that now has the audacity to send in their guy, Mayorkas, to run DHS. And guess what? They've left the border wide open. And guess why? The same reason as what they were doing before. They've got friends or, or whatever they have in Mexico that incentivize them to turn US policy against the Americans against their own country, and they're more than happy to do it. It's unbelievable.
0: Obviously, these people are interested in money, power, and influence, and uh, the priorities of the American people take a back seat whenever any of those things are, are placed in front of them. You know, I can only hope that as a result of just the horrific stuff we've had to deal with, and just for especially the people down there in Arizona and Texas, you know, I mean, if you're on the southern border, uh you know, things are about to get real rough when Title 42 ends. And I really hope that the governors of those states uh step up and decide to maybe pick up the slack where the federal government chooses not to. Um because otherwise uh, I I mean, there's not going to be anybody there. Maybe the people, I know that there are Americans that are patrolling the border and, you know, uh, stopping kids from being trafficked and 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 stopping coyotes from uh, bringing in drugs, but I mean, We need to have like a a real concerted effort by the people in those states if we're going to be able to stop this once they open those gates.
1: Absolutely. I know there's been been times in history where uh, the states have acted. I know the current candidate for governor, uh, conservative candidate for governor in Arizona, Carrie Lake, has said that she would act unilaterally. I, I believe the Texas governor has said the same thing. So we'll have to see how that plays out.
0: Well, I I hope that uh, Carrie, Carrie Lake seems like a a, a real solid candidate. You know, we have some great people down there in Arizona. uh, And I think that, uh, you know, because of everything that happened, I mean, just the the uh, intense scrutiny that Arizona was under as a result of the election, you know, these people have become rising stars. and, and, And it seems that they're uh very devoted to the cause they certainly want to represent the people you know i've had mark fincham on the show before i had wendy rogers on the show as well you know i think that um what's his name Bernovich, Bernovich is uh really dropping the ball <laughs> i think that he's lost the opportunity to uh do something incredible down there and you know who knows what's going to happen if uh if somebody else is going to come in there and 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 pick up the slack but you know he he had an opportunity. He had an opportunity. And I, I believe that the people of Arizona know that uh, if he's not willing to do the job as the attorney general, then he's not going to be the guy that they need for uh, for Senate. It's not going yeah,
1: to. I, I don't think he's getting the support that he hopes to. So uh, that'll be an interesting one to watch as well.
0: Yeah. So, Jeff, um, what have you been doing for the last couple of years? We were out of touch and uh, you reached out to me recently, and and you know, obviously, we uh, we picked it right back up where we were. Uh, it, it was good to hear from you. But uh, but, what have you been working on? If you're not out there whistleblowing anymore?
1: Yeah, well, like I said before, I kind of did a brain dump uh, on Twitter before of everything I knew about that old uh, group of, of political operatives that. It was in my past. And of course, I haven't talked to them again. I don't have anything to do with them. I haven't for years. So I didn't. I really didn't have anything to add. Um, th- there is an awful lot of, of past experience there that allows me to understand things that happen now within those Democrat circles. But politics is not my business. Um, I was always a technology guy first. So I asked myself, what can I do to help out? Because we have all these great patriots that have been stepping up and, and doing whatever it is they're doing in their area of expertise to help uh, America First Patriots in some way save our country, right? And so uh, I started uh, just a Telegram channel um, educating uh, conservatives about Silicon Valley secrets and how to get away from big tech and how to escape the, the spying and uh, letting them know, hey, this guy that none of us really trust anymore, Bill Gates, do you realize he designed the, the principal software that runs on your computer, Windows, Do you have any idea where your data is leaking out to? Um, And so we've been teaching people how to get out of Windows, how to get out of all this software that's built by people that hate conservatives and how to get into free and open source uh, Linux to secure their data. When we first started it, people thought it would not work. They'd say, you know, conservatives aren't interested in technology or whatever. That is not true. It's been a phenomenal success. Um, And so we've just been uh, educating conservatives on technology. And we, we've had a grand old time. We've been doing it for about eight months now, uh, have a, a very successful telegram channel in my name. It's Jeffrey underscore Peterson. And uh, we, we do that every day instead of just replaying the the same content that everybody else is ours is totally unique and educational.
0: Right on. So you, you literally took uh, the uh, learn to code meme to heart. <laughs>
1: <laughs> like, you know, I didn't I didn't understand that because I know a lot of people were offended by it. And, and by the way, we're not teaching everybody how to program computers. We're teaching a right. few people how to program computers. But we're, we're teaching pretty easy things that make a big difference to help conservatives secure themselves and their privacy online. But I actually, on that topic of Learn to Code, I ran a poll about why it offends people because I didn't understand. And as it turns out, it actually, because I polled a lot of people on this, it doesn't offend people. It's the way that it's said Yeah. That offends people. So if it's said in in a negative way, like, hey, buddy, you know, learn to code, it's like, screw you, you know, don't talk to me that way. But if it's said in a thoughtful, caring way, it's totally different.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, when it was initially popularized, it was the, uh, the, you know, the, the left wing media that was telling people who had been, you know, blue collar workers, manufacturing, stuff like that. Oh, hey, you know, the world is changing. Learn to code. Kind of dismissive. Uh, and then mm-hmm. when all of those same mainstream media journalists lost their jobs because fake news sucks and nobody wants to watch CNN plus, they get told to learn how to code. And then they get and then and then we get deleted from Twitter for telling right. them to learn how to code. Yeah. So 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 uh, coding, uh, learning Linux is a part of it. What's your yeah, what's your it's... ultimate goal? Like, are you getting people uh, helping them to move away from Windows? Because I know we've got some Linux people in the audience.
1: It's, it's like unplugging people that you care about from the World Economic Forum. You know, it's like it's, it's like what we call uh, in the political world, red pilling people that you care. It's not always easy. Right. Yeah. You go you go to your friends and family You say, hey, do you understand there's this wacko called Klaus Schwab who's trying to engineer takeover of all these governments? And they look at you and they say, hey, I think you're the wacko. Right. But we yeah. know because we follow this stuff. All It's like trying to do the same thing in the technology world. Yep. To waking people up, saying, hey, this software and a computer is not only not very good because Windows is a piece of junk, but it's actually enabling the spying and transmittal of your data all over the world to China, all these other places that are spying on you. We know all of this stuff is happening and it's closed sort. We have no idea the full extent of it. However, if you get over into the open source world, it's a very nice world that's been built by individuals over the past 30 years, not big corporations, and it's all open source. We know what's in it. So come over here. It's a much better place to be.
0: So this is another thing that I really like about what Elon Musk has said with the takeover of Twitter is that he wants to make Twitter's code open source. So if there is some aspect of the code that, that specifically limits the reach of somebody's tweet or shadow bans it or makes it so people can tend or interact with it. We can see that it's right there. People can point to it and we know shadow banning exists. We know that the suppression of accounts exists. We know that people were uh, deleted from the, uh, from the platform simply for having uh, a thought or, uh, you know, something that they believe that is outside of that, that mainstream, that very narrow path that we're supposed to be walking on. Um, So, you know, I I love the idea of it. Just for anybody who isn't uh, savvy on this stuff, first, explain uh, the concept of open source for the audience. And then I want to talk more about Linux as a a platform.
1: Yeah, open source is transparency in the code, the instructions that make our computer programs work. So a good example in our American society of open source is our uh, federal court system and laws. We know what all the laws are. Anybody can read them. Right. So if if you ever end up in court, uh, if it's a civil lawsuit, you're sued under a specific statute. You can open it up and read it. You know what it is. Now, imagine for a second if the entire legal system was closed off and opaque and you had no idea what the laws were. But you, but you had to be governed by them anyways. That's what you're doing when you use Microsoft Windows. Mm -hmm. You're running your entire computer, your entire digital existence on software that is closed source. Nobody knows how it works. Nobody knows what it does. The people at Microsoft don't even know what it does because they're all compartmentalized from each other. So it, it is the worst possible position to be in, to have all your family's pictures, all your info, everything else in the hands of an operating system that was built and architected by Bill Gates himself, Right. And so that is when I say we we red pill patriots about their software experience and get them over into open source software that is transparent, where they can actually be a part of a community where um, they're they're no longer subject to that type of tyranny, because it is tyranny. What big tech companies are doing in partnership with the the Democrats, it's a much nicer place. We say you're going to start liking your technology again instead of instead of being a hesitant user of technology, you're going to get a lot more comfortable with it. You can't do it overnight. It's a process. It's a transformation to learn how to use free and open source software. Some people, it takes two or three months. Some people, it takes them six months. But you come out the other side in a much better place. It'll change your life.
0: So when when you're teaching people how to do this, uh are you having them just completely dive right into linux like uninstall windows uh install linux or are you guys doing like uh, uh like a, a multiple multiple bootable drives so that people can go back and forth as they're getting used to it
1: like like most good things it just works better and so as it happens and this is like I have this old rule about good bands. Like the best bands are the ones you've never heard of. Yeah. Like, just so it turns out the best technology is the stuff you've never heard of. But, but Linux has been around for thirty years, right? And it's the labor of love for the tens of thousands of programmers that build it up on their own time, and it's much higher quality. So it works very good on older computers. So you can actually you can actually buy a ten year old laptop from twenty twelve or twenty thirteen. You can go buy it at your local pawn shop or, or off of a, a, an auction like eBay or wherever. You can buy an old laptop for 100 or 200 bucks, throw Linux on it, and it'll run, in many cases, practically as fast as your current laptop that's running Windows because it's bogged down and bloated, right? And so we tell people, if you can't move over instantly, get yourself a cheap second laptop, start learning Linux little by little, that, that computer will become your happy place. Right, that's the one that's not spying on you, mm-hmm. and then over time, everybody ends up switching their main computer to Linux because they love it. But it's that process that stops people from doing it because yeah. it's a time it's a time investment. The software itself is free; all of it's free.
0: I, I kind of think of it uh, in the same way that I, I I think about YouTube. You know, like people are so used to using YouTube, it's um... It's something they don't have to think about, okay? And for a lot of people, that barrier to entry is that, you know, that initial learning phase where they have to uh, kind of do a little bit of work and figure out how something operates because it's a little bit different, Uh, and maybe they have to go seek it out. But, you know, YouTube is right there. Microsoft Windows is right there. It's always, uh, you know... Convenience. Yes, the convenience factor, yeah. Yeah.
1: But all, all of the internet, the server side of the internet that serves the web pages, runs on Linux. Some of the best technology in the world, Elon Musk's rockets run on Linux, right? It's it's not a subpar system. It's actually better. And so what we tell our channel subscribers, um, we've got about 45,000 of them. What we tell them is you're going to get better technology and you're going you're to get yourself unplugged from big tech. And so we've got, we've moved over, we track. Uh, In in our polling and surveys, we've moved over about 7,000 Patriots since we started, which is not a huge number, but um, we interviewed the co-founder of the Linux operating system on our channel. We did a live interview with him, and he said he'd never heard of of such a thing. So um, we know that we're making a difference, and uh, we have a very high satisfaction rate. So it's growing, and it will continue growing. And it's the right thing to do to unplug from big tech.
0: I, I totally agree with you. So people uh, have the ability to move off of Microsoft Windows. You don't have to sacrifice your uh, precious data. You're not going to be tracked in the same way. Um, are all of the same types of features that people are used to in Windows, the same type yep. of, of programs like an Office suite? Um, yep. Okay, so so all of that is still there. Do you have a favorite, a favorite distribution of, uh, of Linux? Because I know that there's a number of <laughs> them that people have built.
1: There, there's a bunch of them. It, it starts sounding technical. You know, A lot of people, when they hear it, it sounds technical. They just tune out and say, oh, I'm not interested. But if they dive into it, even for a few weeks, they start to get curious. And, and the thing is, people are smart. They know when something is worthwhile. So because our movement has grown, it's, it's easier now to get people's attention than when we were first starting. Yeah. A lot of people were skeptical. But Ubuntu Linux is, is the uh, most popular, widely supported. There's many, many other distributions of Linux that are out there. Um, you'll have your same desktop. You can have your same browser. You can use Brave. A lot of people use the Brave browser. It's a very popular privacy browser, but what you're not going to have is the constant Microsoft updates, the blue screen of death, the patches that you have to take and and not knowing what the heck your computer is doing with all your data, which is what's happening. If you're in the windows world, it's really bothers a lot of people and rightfully so.
0: That is a huge concern for people. Privacy, I, I hear it all the time. Uh, have you done any work with uh, with people on um, any of the Linux phones that are out there? I know, I think PinePhone <laughs> is one th- the one that I've heard the most about.
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, PinePhone is kind of an experimental project. It's it's more of a toy, really. than a yeah. real phone? I mean, it, it does work, but it's admittedly it's not good. Um, there's, <laughs> there, there's there's a few phones that are decent, that are Linux phones. One of them is, is called the, the Purism Librem 5, but it's expensive.
0: Oh, I've heard of that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: It's, a, it's expensive. It's, it's almost $2,000. You know, it, it does everything you would want a privacy phone to do, but uh, not everybody has that kind of money to throw around. So um, the reality is we're some ways away from having good Linux phones. There's some of them that are starting to show up. We want their... But we want to make more progress in this area. Our group is actually working on that. And there's other groups that are working on it too. Linux is great on the desktop, though. For your laptop or your uh, PC, if you put in a few days to research it, you'll become very, very interested. Um, you Take a look at our channel. You can talk to hundreds of other Patriots that are in our chat room that can tell you what their experiences have been, and it is a rare day that we hear anybody having Any regrets from moving over? What we do here constantly is that they feel like it's it's caused them to enjoy their technology again, taking control of it.
0: So I'm, uh, you guys, we're going to be opening up the phones here in just a minute, but I wanted to uh, throw out the link to Jeff's telegram so that you guys can join and check him out. And if you're interested, oh shoot, how do I share it on here? There we go. I got it. I got it. um yeah here we go copy link all right here it is uh i'm sharing this out here right now um i think that jeff uh the um the mission that you guys are on to get people off of windows is uh key um uh and i think that if you guys can crack the code on a Linux phone, I think that that will be probably uh, one of the most exciting things for a lot of people. Because I, we have actually seen it in the chat. Oh, I'm on, he says, I'm on Linux right now. He says, why not make it so phones can install the OS you want? I was just thinking the same thing, you know, I mean, uh, you know, just have like an open source phone that you can install whatever kernel you want, boom, you've got, uh, you know, whatever the operating system is that you want, you know, but the, the, I think the reason they don't do that, uh, it, it is because of the money, and this is what you know. You said earlier, it's not that Linux is worse than Windows or worse than a Mac or something like that because Macs are based on Linux. But if uh, it, 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 the reason it's not as popular as Windows is because it doesn't have the the marketing dollars behind it. You know, I mm-hmm. mean, there isn't a single corporation that is pushing for people to have Linux installed on their computers. You know, for it's
1: it's you know, literally free.
0: Yeah, it's totally free. Totally free. <laughs> so, so
1: Microsoft is the opposite end of the spectrum. They've got propaganda everywhere you look, and, and Windows comes pre-installed on every laptop that's sold in America that's not a Mac, right? And so that's what does it for them.
0: Yeah. So they basically they have a monopoly on. Uh, it's on it's like if you're
1: it's like if your television came pre-installed with only CNN, and you had to, <laughs> and you had. To, <laughs> It's the same. And you had to take a week to get rid of it, right? <laughs> except, it's, except it's worse. CNN can't grab your, your family's files, right? And, yeah. and Bill Gates can through Windows. That's how bad it is. That's, that's why we put in uppercase. We tell people it's time to get out now from Windows. We, these people have shown us their hand. You know, we know that they hate us, right? Why in the world would we trust our entire digital life to their operating system?
0: Bill Gates is essentially like the devil incarnate too, you know. And you think he's the last guy that I would want to be uh giving my information over to. Uh let me just uh pass out this link you guys. If you got any questions for Jeff about uh the um, uh the Linux group that he's got right now or the uh information we were talking about earlier with the Arizona Mafia by all means. Uh Jeff, I think you need to write a book, dude. You
1: know about- the- you know, I have I actually have a book agent in Florida. He, he calls me up and he says, Jeff, do you know, there's there's only 20 people in the United States, 20 technical founders who have started publicly traded social networks that have had uh, more than 10 million active users. And he says, you're on that list he says, I think you're number 20 out of 20, but you're on the list. He says, I, I could get you a big book deal. And, and I say, you know, someday I'll have time for that. But uh, it, it's been it's been quite a ride
0: uh i i would absolutely be all over that you know i mean it, it, we we've only scratched the surface on on the uh the, the stuff from arizona you know it uh there is so much to tell there is so much to tell and i think that it's going to be even more important here as um more of these people are exposed you know i i, th- I think it's uh, uh, it's undeniable that once we get through this uh, special counsel's investigation and uh you know all the findings from uh, John Durham, you know, it's going to draw in all of these people—the the same people that that you were involved with back then—and that, yeah, I mean, I, you know, there's a picture of you with Bill Clinton before you realized what a piece he was. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. Oh man, yeah, I'm I'm telling you, it's like the story—you you couldn't make it up if you tried. It's it's very bizarre for so many reasons, but you know, I it's been a spiritual journey too, and I I say this, and I believe the same thing applies to the 45th president. I think god has a plan for all of us and and the things that happen in our life make us stronger they teach us unique things who better to expose and take on the deep state than donald trump he yeah. he, has, he has a lifetime of doing the hard work that other people couldn't do in that regard i i don't
0: think there's many human beings that could have done what
1: he did as the president of the united states
0: no i, I agree with you uh i need to say thank you to uh vicky vicky armstrong on lisa's cash app i really really appreciate that thank you for the donation uh, Vicky, And um, let me just make sure there isn't anybody else I need to say thank you to. Yes, Ed Starface. Uh, he says, uh, enjoy. Thank you very much. I appreciate that, buddy. Thank you for uh, supporting the show. Um, what are the other possibilities uh, for for people getting away from this deep state uh, Silicon Valley technology? Um, obviously, tablets are a big thing now. I- is this a possibility for people to be able to install Linux distributions on anything other than a laptop?
1: It is. I mean, remember that Android is actually Linux-based, mm. right? But um, and and uh, Bill Gates himself says it was the biggest mistake of his career was, was not doing what the Google guys did when they forked Linux to make Android because Microsoft lost its presence in in the mobile device market. But Android is Linux with a spyware layer added on top of it. That's why we don't like Android, but it it shows that Linux can work on many mobile devices, right? So everything, everything you were saying, um, you've proved yourself very tech savvy tonight, by the way, for the audience, he he knows his tech stuff. Um, Everything you are saying about uh, the necessity um, of putting linux on mobile devices is true the reason why it doesn't happen is the device driver support yeah. right because the mobile devices have very unique cameras and and other uh, hardware devices that that need to be configured in order for it to work and so it just takes time and that's why it will happen with time but it's it's a little slow getting there
0: is that why the the pine phone and the librem are are so expensive because the modules are made specifically to work with the linux
1: That's right. And that's why uh, Google has such an advantage with Android, because they have all their engineers using that search engine money from Google to write device drivers for it. So Android just works on all these devices. Right. And so the Linux community is challenged to keep up with that rapid pace of development for mobile devices that are always changing, always changing.
0: Uh, I am dropping the uh, meeting ID and the passcode in, guys. If you call 929-205-6099, and then the meeting ID and the passcode are on the screen. So uh, please give a call in, and you can ask Jeff any questions. I see that uh, there's a couple of people over there on Foxhole that are actually using Linux already, and then some other people who are interested. Um, Now, when you said that the Linux works good on these old computers... So what what is it about uh, Linux that makes it work better on these or makes it run on par with so much more powerful systems nowadays?
1: Yeah, well, uh, like I said, as, as it turns out, when you have a bunch of programmers that are working on computer software out of a labor of love, they actually build it better than if they're motivated by corporate America and money, right? So the Linux operating system itself is very efficient. It's The code is very small. It's very tightly wound together. So to, to load up the Unix kernel, the Linux kernel itself, it's like it, it could be less than um, uh, a, a boot disk itself could be less than 100 megabytes. It could be less than 50 megabytes, right? Oh, it's wow. very, 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 very small. Um, and so it just runs uh, much faster, much more efficient, whereas Windows is the polar opposite. That, that it'll, it'll sit there, uh, you know, it sounds like a, like a coffee machine. It'll sit there percolating... When it's supposed to be idle, you have no idea what it's doing, right? It's the most bloated computer operating system in the history of computing. So these are two polar opposites. You want to be on the open source side of things. Um, And anybody who starts to research and understand the difference would immediately be persuaded. The problem is the time. It takes people time, and that's very hard to come by for many people.
0: Mon says, I'm not sure what to call in about, even though I'm on board with Linux, but you, you, you can call in and ask, uh, ask questions about uh, the, the Arizona mafia and Jeff's experiences. And I, I mean, to be honest with you as a Linux user, I'd be interested to, uh, to talk to you, uh, you know, about your impressions of Linux and, you know, why you started using that instead of, uh, Windows. You know, I mean, I, I used to, I used to run a distribution of, uh, Red Hat long time ago. Uh, mm. I don't even know if they're around anymore, but, um, you know, I've heard of, uh, um, you know, Ubuntu, uh, obviously, uh, I know that, uh, Mint is another one that people like to use, but, um, you know, it, it if people are using a specific distribution of Linux, do they need to keep using that? Or can they, you know, try can, out they, these other ones?
1: They can switch around. Um, Red Hat evolved into, uh, for, for home users, it evolved into Fedora, by the way, which you may have heard of. Red Hat's still in the enterprise market for businesses. But the popular version of Linux is Linux Mint for beginners. Um, it has a user interface that looks a lot like Windows, but it's got the Linux kernel inside. So you're in a whole different world. None of the code is shared. There's nothing in common between Microsoft Windows and Linux. You're in a totally different world, but you can still have your same productivity application. So it's it's much, much, a much better place to be.
0: So just as a, for instance, um, you know, thinking about the information that is shared with Microsoft, I mean, I mean, is that literally everything? I mean, like, I mean, obviously, well, you've got some very private stuff on your computer, you know. I mean, pictures, you know, your messages, um, you know. But is Microsoft really gathering all of that, or is it just the, um, I guess, you know, where you're going online and 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 your IP address and stuff like that?
1: Yeah. Well, it seems like there's worse and worse news coming out all the time. It's 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 kind of like if you're following the developments with Pfizer and the vaccine. Every time they do a document dump, the news gets worse, right? It seems like a similar thing in Microsoft's world. Every time we hear about all the holes in the operating system, all the information that's being shared with data brokers, third parties that resell it, your data could be sold 40, 50, 60 times through some of these data brokers. Your location is being resold where you are, right? I, I mean, it's, it's horrible and it just keeps getting worse. This is why if you really get someone's attention and sit them down and say, look at what you're doing with your digital life, because a lot of the time, the first impression is, look, I just don't have time. Or they say, I'm a a non-technical person. They say, I'm too old. They say, right? Because some of us are 49 or 50 or 60 years old. And I say, well, how many more years you got on the planet? Because if it's more than one, you you better think about this, right? I mean, it's something that affects all of us and it's a big deal.
0: You know, it also makes me wonder, I mean, obviously, you know, privacy from uh, governments and from intelligence agencies is a huge thing, too. And we know specifically with both Macs and Windows machines that they have the ability to just turn on your webcam. Obviously, you know, I think that's one of the reasons I'm so interested in a Linux phone as well, because we know they're listening to us through our phones. We know they're watching us through our webcams. They can turn on the microphone on your computer. You know, and I just wonder how widely, uh, you know, dispersed that is among the Linux, Linux ecosystem.
1: Yeah, everybody knows. I mean, there's there's a lot of independent-minded folks in the Linux community. Um, I know uh, political differences are are often very difficult for people, but I'll just mention this anyways. By the way, as a former Ron Paul fan, which I used to be a Ron Paul fan, a yeah, lot of libra- a lot of libertarians in the Linux community, a lot of preppers in the Linux community because they're they're independ- independent-minded people that just don't want to follow the crowd. They want to take control of their data. And that's the way it should be. We have to take individual self-responsibility these days for things like our food supply to get out of the supply chain, right? Yeah. Things like our digital data to get out of being resold as products ourselves, right? We have to start taking control of our lives and, and the dig- digital domain is one of the most important places to do it. In the world of free and open source software has been around for 30 years. People just don't know about it because it takes a little while to learn, but it's not, it's not that hard. And so that's what we teach people. And it's been a resounding success. You know, everybody said we couldn't do it when we started, but it's honestly, it hasn't been that, that hard to get people interested. We've, we've had a continual flow of people coming through and, and uh, taking our classes and switching their computers over and helping each other out, just Americans helping other Americans. It's, it's been inspiring to watch
0: Awesome. Uh, we actually have our first caller on the line, so let's go ahead and bring them in. Caller, you're on the air. Can we get a name?
2: It is Amon.
0: Amon. Good to hear from you, buddy.
2: Yeah, it seemed like uh, no one else was calling in, so I guess if we <laughs> are to call and talk about Linux.
0: I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> so how long have you been using Linux, and why did you start?
2: Oh, it's been over a decade at least um i started uh back in my minecraft playing days because oh, wow. uh i just got uh fed up with windows and uh, asked around you know other people playing games and they all told me what kind of linux is to get in on and i started using ubuntu and i've been using it since
0: so how how was the uh the learning curve? I mean, did you just jump right into it, or uh, did it take long for you to get to uh get comfortable with it?
2: It was pretty simple, except that the the dot exe programs that you use on windows you know every time you go looking for a program, you usually get a windows program, so it, it's kind of hard finding the linux specific stuff or Linux versions of stuff.
0: So, Jeff, how do how do people find programs that are analogs for what they're used to using?
1: It's a it's a blessing in disguise that the EXEs the .exes, the compiled programs don't execute from Windows in Linux because most of the viruses are EXEs and they just won't work, right? But um, and that's true. But no, there's uh, there's tons of software support in Linux. You install from the Ubuntu Software Center um, or or from uh, any any number of other methodologies to install it. It becomes much more. Convenient once you learn how to use it and you learn how to do it, there's, there's equivalence for almost everything. And if you do need to use Windows software, you can run it in a virtual machine on your Linux desktop inside a secure sandbox. So it's like having two computers in one. A lot of people come over and they say, well, I, I still need to use my accounting software, my, my uh, TurboTax or whatever. And you know, I've got years of, of, of accounting records on it. We say, no problem, just set up uh, a virtual machine on your Linux desktop. Um, VMware gives away VMware Pro for free, the Linux version. You can run Windows in it, and uh, that Windows virtual machine cannot see outside of its sandbox, and so your desktop is still secure, and you've got your old Windows software there, too, at the same time.
2: Sweet. Yeah, I've been using Wine for the Windows programs, and Wine is kind of all over the place uh, if it's going to work or not.
1: <laughs> yeah, VMware is kind of as, as good as Wine is inconsistent. But congratulations <laughs> to you, by the way.
2: <laughs> yeah. Um, another thing is uh, I've, I've been on Ubuntu version 16, and I think they're into 20-something now. But uh, I didn't like a switch they made off of the uh, what they call a Unity uh, base of the Linux. Uh, but they, you know, I'm still on an old operating system, and it's working just fine with me and all the stuff I need it for.
1: That's amazing. It's, it's just so solid. That'll happen. Um, yeah, 20.04 is the current long-term release, but you're right. You don't even have to update it. That's, that's the thing with Windows. You have to take every single update or it'll just stop working. A lot of people, uh, one of the most popular searches on Google right now, by the way, is how do I downgrade from Windows 11 back down to 10? <laughs>
2: I stopped using Windows. I think I was uh, using Windows 2000. It was outdated at the time, but I didn't want to upgrade Windows. So, yeah, I went to Linux.
1: Well, congratulations.
0: Good stuff. Well, Aman, I appreciate you calling in, buddy. And uh, thank you very, very much for listening.
2: Yeah, have a good night.
0: All right, brother, you too. All right, we've got another caller on the line. Let's bring them in. Caller, you're on the air. Can we get a name?
3: Yes, the name is Julio.
0: Julio, welcome to the show. How are you?
3: I'm doing great. How are you, sir?
0: Excellent, excellent. So what's your question for Jeff?
3: No, basically, it's um, the uh, the Ubuntu. I started using it when, when I saw his uh, Telegram channel. I, I started following him, and I've been using it since. Uh, I tried using uh, uh, Linux a, a few years back, but it was very complicated. Now it's very, very simple to use. and. Pretty much all the apps that you have on Windows are available in Linux as well. So it's it's very, very easy to make the make the switch and and uh, looking at some of his suggestions, I actually had a twenty three year old laptop that I basically was a doorstop. Okay. I never I it wouldn't run because it wouldn't run past uh Windows uh X T uh was it X X yeah, T and right uh, and show. he uh, yeah, uh, exactly. Windows was—I forgot. Anyways, the version of Windows that wouldn't run anymore, so we had it just sitting around. Well, I installed an older version of of, of uh, Linux. It's called Puppy. Yep. And the thing works fine now. Great. <laughs> how, how fast is it? <laughs> it's it's as fast as my 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 new laptop. I mean, it's incredible, oh. you know. And also the drivers, like in the in the past, it was hard to to load drivers for printers and. and and yeah. uh, peripherals, and now it's all seamless. It's very, very
1: nice.
0: That's crazy. Jeff, what about streaming? Is there an mm-hmm. OBS for uh, for for Linux?
1: There is OBS. The OBS. yes. Wow. OBS works in Linux. Yeah,
0: that's great.
3: That's I'm telling great. you, dude. It, it, everything that you can do in, in Windows, you can pretty much do on Linux. There's no there's no difference.
0: Wow, wow. That's that's pretty sweet. I um uh, I think I'm I think I'm going to install uh, an, another version of it here. I haven't tried it for I haven't used it for years, but uh, it'd be interesting to see what it looks like
3: now. Yeah. And you can do the dual dual boot so you can keep running yep. Windows if you want and then, then boot boot to I have I have two two drives in my in my computer so I use one one I have the Ubuntu installed and the other one I have Windows. Okay, right on. And only well, because of work, because work requires me to still use some of the Windows applications, but I, I, it's ninety five percent of the time I use I use Linux. And and here's another thing: Office. Most people are like, "Well, yeah, but I like Office." Well, there's 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 applications that look that even open and save in an Office format.
0: Wow! Oh, that's awesome, dude. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm looking forward to trying it. I actually have a Mac, so. Um, you know, it shouldn't be any problem to to do a dual boot on this one, too. Right on. Yep. All right. Well, Julio, thank you very much for your call, buddy. I appreciate it, and I'm glad that uh, you're getting some use out of this stuff.
3: Oh, yeah, definitely. And Thanks for uh, everything that you guys do. Okay?
0: Thank you. God bless you. God bless you as well. Appreciate you listening. Bye-bye. Right, Bye-bye. Okay. And we've got another caller on. Actually, we've got three people on. Hold on. I saw <laughs> Chops ITMC. He was... Next in line, see what CHOPS is up to. And uh, thank you very much for hanging out with us tonight, guys. I appreciate it. Welcome back to the program, CHOPS. How are you, bud? Oh,
4: so far, so good.
0: All right, good stuff. So what's on your mind? Well, uh,
4: not a whole lot. I do intend on getting into Linux, and Mint is probably where I'm going to start. But uh, Linux is the only operating system allowed to use with uh ham radio because you're not allowed to encrypt anything with ham radio transmissions.
0: Oh, Hey, that's a, that's a great point, man. Uh, Scott Kesterson from bards of war. He's, uh, got this like initiative to get a bunch of people, uh, onto their ham radio, uh, license so that they can use it as a form of communication. If things go down. So, I, I don't know. So how, how would, okay. So a ham radio, I mean, that's like a separate thing from a computer. I don't know all that much about it. I just know that it's a signal and there's a box. Can you, do you, you got a ham radio?
4: Yeah. Okay. This, okay. <laughs> but uh, no, that one, I need a nine pin square Molex connector so I can hook up the audio inputs and outputs and uh, remote keying controls and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, i got another one right here that, this one's is not so friendly, but it's got uh, more more bands available. Um, but yeah, for a computer interface, like using a whisper, where I uh, throw a wire out back and uh, I can listen to somebody uh, from 15, 1,600 miles away without a problem. Oh, wow. there's yeah, there. So, and yes, I do know guys who are sharing memes. <laughs> via ham
0: radio. <laughs> yes, that's great. I mean, how does that come through? Is it these are just like uh, audio memes? Uh,
4: no, uh, facsimile has been around uh, since the mid 1800s. Okay, okay. Uh, so, so yeah, you can send it in a facsimile code. You can send it in a Baudot code, uh, and uh, and there's a uh, various uh, file compressions. You just have to send it one pixel in a grid at a time. That's crazy. It, That's it, crazy, <laughs> but but there are but uh, some of the higher level hams can also do fast scan television uh, transmission broadcasts and oh, wow. uh, slow scan television. Yes, so there there is a lot that you can run through a, a ham radio depending on how you uh, modulate your signal, and a lot of it's really cool. But uh, it's but but it, but uh, any uh, software system that that you use on a, a ham radio has to be Linux. Because it's the only one where the it's a, not an encryption system. Because if you're caught encrypting data, then uh, the federales start looking for you.
0: <laughs> okay. So oh, so so this is like uh like a, a, a law like the United States has a law that you can't encrypt stuff on ham radio. why do you, why do you think that is?
4: Um, a lot of it was, I uh, uh, believe, for World War II. But it's the FCC in article 97, if I remember correctly, is mostly so people aren't stepping over each other and you're using radio to communicate with each other. Well, you really don't want it or doing satellite communications with ham radio. You really don't want uh, uh, somebody uh, trying to sneak something by that's uh, malicious or uh, traitorous or anything like that.
0: Okay, so Uh, for purposes of uh, espionage, you you can't. uh encrypt
4: or, or uh planning uh where the blm hookup is going to be or uh, you can't use it you can't you can't use it like a twitter or facebook right. or anything like that where, where you're doing where you're coordinating uh bad things and you don't want anyone to know about it whatever yeah. you put on the rate whatever you put on the airwaves everyone anyone who can listen and right. um, and so that, that's why cam is uh, uh all only linux
0: That's pretty sweet. Uh, Jeff, did you know that about Linux? Yeah,
1: I've been a ham radio operator since I was a a kid. So it's um, it's another reason why I've always, uh, like I say, people who love technology love Linux. It's a a labor of love. Everything you said is correct. Um, I concur with that. We have some modes of transmission like packet radio uh, where we can send digital files over over the ham bands and and the devices will actually relay the transmissions from one city to another to another to another, kind of like a private internet. Yeah. Very very cool stuff. And these th- these are the things you'll never see in Windows because, like I said, Windows is considered amongst those who know in the technical community, it's really a, a Mickey Mouse operating systems. And we as Americans can do better. And it's it's time to step up. I always say uh patriots should be american conservatives should be the biggest users of free and open source software because it agrees with all of our principles you'll find that to be very true
0: right on good stuff well chops i i appreciate you calling in buddy thanks for your input that's uh, a lot of stuff i had no idea about
4: yeah well have a good day everyone
0: all right brother we'll talk to you soon all right we've got our next caller coming in you're on the air and can we get a name
5: Hi, this is Principal Enigma. I need to mute. Uh, hang on. No problem. Get of there. Thank you. Here we go. All right. Good. Good Hi. to hear from you, uh, Principal
0: Enigma. How you been?
5: It's uh, well. I've been surviving, uh, and I wanted to let you know that I finally got the flash drive, and it's uh, full of the stuff that I'm going to send you. Ooh. I just need to write the table of contents for it and get it out to you.
0: Okay. Awesome. Um, I'm looking forward to it.
5: There's going to be interesting stuff in there. Some of it I wrote. Um, I, I, I'm including a a folder that's got my poetry in it, but your, your guest, your, your guest tonight's got some interesting stuff. And, um, I want to thank him for the work that he's doing. Absolutely. I uh, I totally missed uh, the first part of this though. What uh, what was the gist of the first oh. part of this?
0: Uh well uh, in, initially Jeff had been a uh he had created a, a social media company some years ago, uh the first uh uh bilingual uh Spanish and English social media company. Ended up selling it off and was still a business uh uh owner in Arizona kind of got to know people in the Arizona political scene. Thought yeah, that... what,
5: what years what years were that?
1: Well, um, what years? Our, our, our company Go ran ahead. from 1998, and it was sold uh, in 2021, in March of 2021.
5: That's very interesting, because uh, I was in Pennsylvania working for um, a Conestoga Data Services organization in Lancaster, I set up their um, uh, quality control department. <clears throat> I've got 45 years of experience. I've, I've been in computers ever since 1981. Mm-hmm. Uh, I graduated I graduated uh, from the technical, Lincoln Technical Institute and an associate's degree in specialized computer electronics in 1981. And ever since then, it has been my stated mission to prove Microsoft wrong. <laughs> and and i i since i've been retired i have uh, very comfortably told people you know it's kind of interesting because if it wasn't for microsoft i would have had to have an honorable career because computers would just have worked <laughs> very so true i am definitely i am definitely not a fan of microsoft in fact uh, I, I got kind of stuck with uh, some aspects of microsoft uh, one of the biggest developments that i've done so far is on the excel spreadsheet application and believe me, I can fill your ears with all kinds of frustrations with an application, but there are some <laughs> things that it offers that really gives me the flexibility to do the code that I like. Mm. Okay, I, I, I put a spreadsheet together could be used by a small to a mid-range business, uh, mm. and I, I simply use this to do my home budget. <laughs> <laughs> yep. But uh, I, I'm now my real question is, I, I you know been. Red Hat, by the way, when I, in two thousand four through six, I was managing an observatory in Flagstaff, and their systems were running on red hat linux mm. and uh, it's kind of interesting because that's right around the time that Linux stopped offering free versions of their software they mm. They totally went commercial and they became very expensive, and they still are but that, uh, you know
1: what that happened? was that was Red Hat they did that right yes exactly Yeah, they they started focusing on the enterprise market
5: right well the uh the systems that were actually controlling the telescope that i was managing at Brayside were running they were all running on red hat right so i became very familiar with it and also very frustrated with it and especially when it comes to um trying to drive old equipment with new technology that yep. that that became a real interesting challenge i was able to surmount it all but uh um, it, it was just a very interesting challenge. But uh, the question I have is it, I have a lot of development that I put into spreadsheets, also access databases, as well as SQL.
1: Mm-hmm.
5: Now, did, will that stuff transfer to Ubuntu or Linux? It will. And, I mean, I, uh, all that uh, stuff, by the way, I've de- <laughs> all that stuff I have developed on an iMac. I'm sorry, I forgot to mention that. So iMac is already Linux based but I'm not sure if it'll go from iMac to um, Ubuntu or something like that.
1: Well, uh, you, you will appreciate this because you're not the average user. You've got many, many years of experience, so you can appreciate the nuance. Um, but yes, absolutely. Uh, and, and we always tell everybody uh, whether they've got 35 plus years of experience or not, just as a reminder for all of us, we always want to back up everything and keep lots of backups before we move things around. You know that. But when you do get... Amen updates, to that. When you do get over to Linux, you'll find a very nice Office suite called LibreOffice that is not a halfway done implementation of an Office suite. It is the real deal. LibreOffice has been under development for more than 15 years. It's got, a, it's got an entire team. It's very mature in its development cycle. It will run your Excel spreadsheets right out of the box with full compatibility, just the way you've built them? You well,
5: yes, I, I, I have LibreOffice installed on my iMac, and it's not fully compatible.
1: Well, Especially, got... <laughs> you,
5: you, you have to consider the fact that I've, I've created more than 45,000 lines of code to develop the spreadsheet. It, it, it takes it about two and a half hours to put an entire 12-month uh, workbook together.
1: I, I would be willing to bet that you could make it work with your level of sophistication because the, the power is there. Um, you, you may have to make some adjustments to the customization you've done, but uh, in other words, you, you can't do it. And if you can't do it in LibreOffice, you've got a few other choices, but I think you could.
5: That sounds very, that's a very interesting answer. <laughs> All right. Uh, very well, interesting answer because it, it, what's most interesting is it's already on my computer. Now I just need to take the time to play around with it.
1: That's, that's the currency. It's time. Well, it's, it, I was going to say,
0: is. go check out the Telegram. And, uh, you know, there's a, a big community of people over there that are that are doing it. So if you can't figure it out yourself, then uh, I'm, I'm certain that there's probably people over there who could work on it with you.
5: Well, Trust me, I've got a friend here in Payson that's very, very Linux savvy.
0: <laughs> right on. Right on. Right on. Yeah, very, very
5: Linux savvy. And I, I, my, I've always, all my life, had a tendency to hang around people that are smarter than me. So... <laughs> anyway
0: got it all right it.
5: congratulations to what you both are doing and uh god bless you both and keep you safe we'll let god you get on to your next well. caller bro
0: appreciate you we'll talk to you soon principal denigma have a great night e- all right we've got freedom machines coming in next <laughs> and freedom machines also known as mr amazing we'll see what's on his mind and uh, uh freedom machines how you doing buddy hey,
6: hey there how you doing this evening
0: Excellent. Good to hear from you again.
6: (laughs) Yeah, you guys are talking about all kinds of crazy tech stuff going on. Um, That's right. I I did want to actually go to the Arizona Mafia stuff, though. Please. uh, Because I was actually just kind of listening to some of his brief descriptions and then, uh, you know, got on my little search engine over here. And the whole Suzanne Barr uh, scenario is definitely crazy where um, there's three male workers and they took all of their office supplies and moved them into the men's restroom.
1: Yeah. Say that again.
6: again? um, Did you want to, did you want to go ahead and tell
1: the story? (laughs) Yeah. You've, you've got it on your screen. I don't, I don't have the case memorized, but those are certainly the types of, of uh, episodes of harassment that were memorialized by the DHS immigration customs enforcement lawsuit against jan napolitano's administration and by the way Susie Barr used to be a friend of mine i, I really? knew her very very well not not like somebody i met one or two times but somebody i knew for years yeah um
6: were these like in your personal experience um just for zach's reference because he asked uh what exactly happened so there was three uh male uh office members and they grabbed all of the office supplies of these people and moved them into the men's bathroom. Wow. And I'm just thinking if a man did that to three of the female workers in the office, just to make a macho statement, his ass would be shit canned in a half a second.
0: Absolutely. And
6: there's another story where she like grabbed some employee's phone and texted this guy's female supervisor with um it almost seems like middle school like hey i got a crush on you with some sexually explicit uh possible language that was included it's like that's like something a sixth grader would do to their you know someone in class you know yeah and uh it's the audaciousness of some of these things is is for them to just feel like they can just you know, swing their authority around with absolutely zero repercussions is, well, that's, um, I was, that's kind of ahead. the
0: order of the day with these people, isn't it? Mr. Amazing. You know, I mean, like they always <laughs> think they can do whatever they want. They're going to get away with it because they're in power and they have friends. And this is, you know, the, the the good old boys network, I guess, so to speak, but the good old gals network and Janet's uh, uh, instance here. But, you know, they have the uh, the audacity to just run with impunity on anything that they want to do because uh, they think they're protected. And, and uh, you know, I mean, it's not just there in Arizona. It's it's in Washington, D.C. And uh, I mean, it's endemic all across the United States. There There's just so much corruption going on.
6: That's absolutely correct. And the thing that's even more awakening is the fact that there are no Repercussions, and you—it seems like if you have the correct political persuasion, which is the most important thing, because they're they're eating their own. As soon as they have people who were on the left, um, regardless, you know, and, and they're always trying to divide people on skin color and sexual orientation, and uh, pick something that you can divide people and drive a wedge in between. They're going to. Uh, do it, and if you're not on the left side of that wedge, you're going to end up being railed against. I mean, you literally had a gay hairdresser in New York City that started a movement (laughs) called the Hashtag Walkaway Campaign, Mm -hmm. and then you had people on the left. He showed up in San Francisco with a bunch of his gay friends who were walking away from the Democrats, and Antifa and a bunch of the leftists showed up to protest gay people.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's uh it, it's quite okay, ironic. Okay. I mean, they they accuse people on the right of being intolerant of lifestyles or, you know, I mean, choices that people make or the way that they live. Um but then they're the most intolerant people uh because they can't uh, reconcile anybody having a different point of view than they do. Uh, and not subscribing to their, their political ideals. You know, I mean, uh, the, the, the BLM types, the Antifa types, I mean, they're the militant enforcement wing of the Democrat party when it comes down to it. You know I mean? If you don't agree with them, then they come after you physically, or they come after your, your livelihood, try to take you out. I mean, that's what they've done to, to me and to a whole bunch of other people, you know, I mean, Jeff, yes. were, did they try to ruin you um, financially when uh, when you started speaking out?
1: It's brute force is what they do best. I've been litigating with them for more than four years. They tried to destroy me uh, with a with a uh, multi-pronged made up attack with, with a made up story. And it's still happening today. It's it's uh, it's a horrible thing. This is the way these people operate.
6: Making up stories, it's a whole lot like uh, the Hillary Clinton fiasco happening. Yep. There, um, there's a lot of parallels. It's unbelievable. Have you ever considered going to Project Veritas with your information? I,
1: I, I have. I've also been uh, strongly discouraged by my former group of friends from talking too much about it. They finally reached out to me about a year ago and told me to stop whistleblowing. And, and uh, that call came from Mexico. And so um, at that time, my answer to them was, well, uh, I, I haven't really said anything for years, and I sort of said everything I already had to say, so I think I can move on to something else, right? But uh, it's it's an interesting point you raised. Um, I think
6: now, more than ever, with there's a reason that all of this censorship is happening, is because the more that the more information that they want to keep in the shadows and in the closets that gets forced out into the light, the more that we can see how wretched these people truly are. And it's almost, it's almost like, I'll say this. If you have people left, right, or center, and you're talking about things that you know for a fact to be true and accurate, Um, For example, like whenever we all sat there and watched six states stop counting. And then all of a sudden, (laughs) Biden's numbers just happened to skyrocket within an hour or two. And then all of a sudden he was in the lead. And then they said, oh, we're recounting again. We literally watched fraud take place. And then people who opened their mouth and talked about it immediately got censored. I called into an AM radio show in my local area in the you could see the people in your mind in the radio studio spinning around on their eyebrows trying to get me off of the phone because yeah. I was talking about the blatant fraud. You know, this is our country being stolen. And I would say don't ever be discouraged if, as a matter of fact, any of the, your coworkers that witnessed all of that, you should encourage every single one of those people to go to places like Project Veritas and get those stories out. It's yeah, the I, only way that they're going to be reeled in.
0: I agree with you, and you know, Jeff. Uh, I have to say, in 2018, when uh, Kirsten Cinema won her seat, uh, you know, the way that the vote played out in that one area is basically the exact same thing that happened in 2020. You know, all of a sudden, she just comes out of nowhere, and they find a whole bunch of votes. You know, I remember thinking at the time. I mean, this kind of feels like a um, a case study. Uh, to see if this, if people will buy it, if they'll be able to get it to work on a large scale.
1: Yeah, I, I actually, in a former life, I actually helped start her career. Um, she was, she was a very good friend of mine for again for a very long time. So um, I didn't, I wasn't talking to her anymore in 2018, but uh, I was there when she was first getting started. We come from the same lineage. She started in politics with Janet Napolitano in Arizona. Um, and uh, we, we knew each other for a long, long time. I can tell you Kirsten cinema stories for hours. So it's, it's interesting. I, I wonder myself, because I haven't talked to her for so long, if something's happened with her, because she seems to be acting a little bit differently than uh, some of the others that vote in lockstep. She seems to have made some important votes. I, I This will sound ridiculous, but it's actually not. I wondered if she read my Twitter, because she and I knew each other very well. Um, it, it's, it's very possible and she of, of anybody would know that because we had many of the same friends that, uh, the things I was saying were true.
0: I think it's probably pretty likely that she did. I mean, you made quite the splash when you initially came out with your, uh, your, your allegations and, you know, your stories, I guess, not, not even allegations, but, you know, just regaling the tales of what had actually happened. Um, I think I find it. I've often found it very ironic that, like, the only thing standing between America and annihilation has been Kirsten Cinema and Joe Manchin. You know, I mean, it's very telling uh, about um, <laughs> the lack of differentiation between the political parties. You know, I mean, uh, everybody else on the Democrat Party just goes lockstep, like you said, and quite often the Republicans. They don't put up a fight. They don't really try to do anything out of the ordinary, and they will allow for these things to happen. But it's been Kirsten Cinema and Joe Manchin that have stopped us from going down these really radical paths.
1: Yeah, and I'm, I'm no uh, Democrat defender. I'm no justifier of them. I'll just say that she was one of my close friends for many, many years, and, and I know her, and she is different than some of the others. For example, they are obsessed with money, and she is not. Um, and so I wonder if at some point, because, uh, she is, uh, intellectually, she is a brilliant, um, and again, I'm not endorsing Democrats blindly here. I'm just talking about someone I know. Yeah. I wonder if she looked in the mirror and said, you know what? I, Kirsten Cinema, a United States Senator, I see bad stuff happening here. And, and I saw her face. I know Kirsten, when she was making those votes, she was scared. She was scared to stand wow. up to them, but she did. And so I have no idea what's going on there. I wonder, you know, I just wonder if uh, we're going to see a different attitude out of her um, going forward and maybe she'll switch parties. I don't know. I have no idea. At some point, I know I'll talk to her again. It's been years. Last time I did talk to her, I think was 2017. But um, it would be very interesting to hear if she has woken up to some of the corruption. I suspect she's been bullied I'm sure she's been bullied and um, because the worst thing you can commit with those people is independent thought. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Roger that. Yeah.
6: One of the, one of the things I certainly hope, and you're definitely right about having independent thought. It's funny how they always try to spout, Oh, well you need to have freedom of expression and freedom of uh, political thoughts and ideas. As long as they fall exactly in line with what they think you need to believe. Um, One of my main things and, and what I was getting at whenever I said Left, right, and center um, If you have A Republican that says we don't need To look into voter uh, Election Security And we don't need to look into the 2020 <laughs> Blatant fraud that Happened, mm-hmm. that person Immediately needs to be on the Radar for their own investigation
4: Absolutely I'm just
6: going to blatantly say if they're not say if they're not actively pushing for recounts and forensic audits and everything they need to be on the radar and they need to be hounded as much as joe biden's administration should be hounded um one thing i hope and i even mentioned this on one of the am radio shows i was talking to the host and i just said do you have children and the you know the radio host, you know, and the sponsor or not the sponsor, the producer, both of them said, yes, they had kids. And I said, you guys realize that you and your families and your children all live in this country and hopefully your children have children. Okay. And you guys will be able to be grandparents. They have to live in this country and you by not shedding light on this information, are helping these people get away with destroying the very country that your own family, including yourself, have to grow up and live in. And the fact that you don't even understand that you're literally helping set fire to your own house, essentially is uncanny i don't know how people like the cnn host can get on there and just blatantly lie to your face and say oh it's a peaceful protest while the building right behind that person is burning I I mean, they're setting fire to occupied buildings like in apartment buildings.
0: I mean, personally, when I when I see that kind of behavior from people on CNN, I mean, I I think that they are so ideologically blinded. They just hate anyone that is on the other side of the aisle and they're getting paid so much money that uh, there's absolutely no, uh, um, you know, remorse that they feel about this stuff, because for them. Telling lies or using violence as a means to an end against someone that they disagree with politically or ideologically, that's total fair game. You know, they they feel comfortable doing that. Um, And, you know, I mean, how many times have we joked around about the the, uh, Hillary Clinton body count? You know, I mean, think about how many I I, I mean, I said I was joking earlier when President Trump made the the joke about Alec Baldwin shooting his producer or whoever she was. She was working on that film and, and he shot that woman, you know, her husband uh, was a lawyer at Perkins Coy or I mean, is still a lawyer at Perkins Coy. And I said, you know, I wow. heard that she, I heard she had, uh, evidence that would put, that would be able wow. to indict Hillary Clinton. And, you know, I mean, it's a joke and maybe it's a little dark, but <laughs> you know, I mean, I, 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 there's truth in it. I mean, how many people yes. do we know that were about to testify? were about to do something and, and, you know, shed light on these horrific subjects, you know, and they ended up dead. Ended up with uh, you know a barbell dropping on their neck, or suddenly they're they've drowned in you know three feet of water off the uh, you know coast of Florida, and uh, you know I mean obviously it, these people are willing to protect themselves and protect their uh, their criminal networks at any cost. Yeah, you know, and Jeff, I think you're you know quite lucky that that uh, you were able to escape unscathed.
1: Yeah, well, it's like I said, it's been a crazy ride. And everything I've, everything I've ever reported is 100% true. There's, there's a lot of details there, um, but it, I felt it needed to get out. And that's why I published those 9,000 tweets over a period of two and a half years.
6: And those, those tweets that you published, is that in a, a book or a website? What's the best?
1: It's on Twitter What's right now. Do... Yeah, Just go, go to, to Twitter. It's on my Twitter account, Real Uh I
6: don't have Twitter or Facebook or any social media.
0: You can still get to his Twitter profile without actually logging in or um, having an account. Oh, really? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Um, so is that going to
6: be in the description after your your show's over?
0: Um, I, I I didn't actually put his Twitter in the description. So, but um, I have passed out uh, his uh, his Telegram. Hold on, I will get his Twitter and I will share it and I'll add it to the description of the show so that yeah, you can go ahead and check it out.
1: Cool. It's just uh, Twitter, Twitter.com slash real Jeffrey P. Even if you're not logged in, you can see all the historical tweets.
6: Do you have, I mean, um, don't go like ousting anybody who's not comfortable with it, but um, any of the coworkers or people that had firsthand eyewitness stuff going on, do you know of any people who are actively trying to become whistleblowers themselves also? Yeah, person. one of them.
1: One of them was his name is Kevin Spide- Spidell, uh, who lived in Arizona, and he uh, he died. So I don't know what happened. I I don't know. He he was trying to leave. He called me on the phone. He was very nervous. Um, he he said that he thought I was brave for telling all the stories I was, and he wanted to do the same thing. He was moving out of Arizona, and then he uh, pe- people say he had a heart attack or something, but he was wow. He's he probably thirty eight. 37 years old. So I, I really have no idea, but uh, just to answer your question, you can look him up. It's Kevin Spidel, S-P-I-D-E-L. He was a well-known political operative in in Phoenix, Arizona.
0: Jeff, wasn't there also someone who um, self-immolated, they set themselves on fire uh, as the story goes?
1: Yeah, that's right. It was the, uh, the, the son of a political operative in Arizona who, um, I, I knew well and, and knew some other people. It was right when I first came out and started tweeting. He uh, he set himself on fire and burned himself alive, which nobody understood. That was very strange. Just don't understand it. Was yeah. that witnessed
6: or was that just?
1: Yeah, there's um... there's a there's a few articles about it, but it it got buried. There's not not many articles about it. Have the to... reason I
6: have a question about the so. Uh... <laughs> Most people are afraid of pain, so someone to set themselves on fire is...
0: That's the thing. Uh, I don't know that anybody saw him setting himself on fire. I just know that he was found burned to death. Yeah, uh, it, was,
1: it was June 25th of 2018. It's... Uh, let me see the article here. Paul Lopez, age 46. You can uh, search it. He was the CEO of the public relations company, the Endeavor Agency. and He was a, uh, he was a Democrat operative.
6: Wow. I'll say this, if I'm not mistaken, and I'm going off the top of my head here, I believe it was the Ives-Henry case, and it's one of the Clinton body counts, and this guy was ruled a suicide, and this person's body was found in a trash heap, like an actual landfill, and the guy managed to cut his own hands and feet off half of his head and, you know, to get the dentals out and set himself on fire. And there may have been some gunshot wounds. I can't remember exactly if there were or not, but that was ruled a suicide. And that person was getting ready to come out with information, I believe, with, against Hillary Clinton and maybe her brother with the cocaine that was going on in uh Columbia or something. Again, that's off the top of my head, but Google <laughs> Look that one up. It is like one of the craziest Clinton body count, quote unquote, suicides. So, whenever that's the first thing I thought of, whenever you said this guy set himself on fire, I'm like, that reminds me of that exact. The only thing that's missing is the fact that the guy didn't cut his own hands and feet off so they couldn't be fingerprinted and uh, part of his head so they couldn't go for the dental records. But yeah, I think they identified the guy with his tattoo and DNA or something. Wow. Yeah, pretty yeah, intense,
0: dangerous business, dangerous business. And, you know, this is one of the reasons why uh, I always suggest that people be as as public as possible, because it makes it a lot harder for them to kill you once you're out there in the public domain and you've already spilled your guts. You know, so thank God they haven't deleted he's... your Twitter account, Jeff.
1: Yeah, it's really amazing. It's still there. All those tweets are still there. So um, it's twitter.com slash real Jeffrey P.
0: I actually just dropped it into, uh, into the chats, so uh, uh, if you guys haven't been able to grab it, you can go to the archive after we're done tonight, and uh, it'll be in the description below, as well as the link to Jeff's Telegram, too. That's awesome. All right. Well, uh, Mr. Amazing Freedom Machines, uh, the, uh, uh, the real American patriot, whatever you're going by tonight, <laughs> <laughs> thanks for being here, and I, I appreciate the call, man.
6: Hey, this is awesome. Uh, and your guest, thank you so much for your bravery and actually coming out. And uh, I mean, that's the thing. Whenever you go out and you shine light and, and just spill your guts, you're almost protected by the fact that the facts are already out there. So what the hell do they need to kill you for now? Because all the everything's out on the table and um, love your show. As always, God bless you. God bless your show and uh, God bless
0: America. God bless you, and God bless America as well. I appreciate you being here, man. Guys, have a good evening. See ya. You too. You too. All right, you guys, we are going to be uh, wrapping it up here in just a moment. I want to get your final thoughts, Jeff, and I want to uh, just real briefly go through these thank yous that I have over here on uh, the Foxhole. Once again, thank you very much for being here. I suggest that everybody on Telegram, definitely go check out Jeff's uh, Telegram group. It's free to join and you've got a big community of people over there that are are working on some really important privacy issues. So, uh, I think that what you're doing specifically is uh, is going to help a lot of people. Uh so uh John Henry 37, thank you very much for dropping those shades. Sean Joe, thanks for the cookie. Uh Tigi Teager, Tigi Teager says, RP is working on his own orange man bad tan. Looking good, brother. Yeah, I've been trying to go to the beach as much as possible, and I feel like it's doing me good. Uh, And tomorrow I got to mow the lawn, Jeff, so I'm going to be even darker by the end of the day. Mountain boy, uh, mountain dog boy. Thanks for the cookie. 3.14 says, uh, thank you, Jeff, for sharing the Arizona mafia info and teaching people about Linux and tech that supports freedom. This is a huge and I think overlooked area. A lot of people are very vocal about their mistrust of technology, uh, their distaste for using platforms that harvest their data and sell it off to the highest bidder. Uh, but not everybody is as eager <laughs> to jump into the pool and uh, and start trying something different. So I I I, I, I appreciate what you're doing. Uh, vader369 thank you for that cookie Lynn's over it thank you for the can Lynn's over it says throw out some cookie love and then dropped another cookie so i really appreciate you guys jeff at the end of the show i always like to ask my guests what do you really want people to take away from the conversation
1: look uh you know sometimes people say uh whatever this technology stuff is you're trying to teach us or whatever this messaging is about uh fixing america with technology it's It's not worth my time, or I'm too old, or it's too complicated, or whatever it is. Look, friends, we've got a lot of work to do, right? A lot of damage has been done to our country. A lot of things change quickly, like technology, but there's some things that don't change at all, like trust and people. And the trust is not coming back. It's not coming back. So we ought not to think that we're going to legislate our way out of the technology problems we have in America right now, and they're egregious. The stuff that's being done by big tech is the most un-American behavior, the censorship, et cetera, that we can possibly imagine. So let's fix it. Let's fix it together. We the people, the way we do it is with free and open source software. It's a beautiful community. Conservatives ought to be some of the biggest participants, if not the biggest participants, because everything that free and open source software stands for agrees with our principles and constitutional principles for that matter. I've been with it. The greater part of my adult life, more than 40 years, one of the best decisions I ever made, one of the best decisions you ever make, will be unplugging yourself for big tech. Come see us on Telegram at the channel in my name. It's at Jeffrey underscore Peterson. We'll see you there.
0: Okay, right on. And then uh, Rapture Ready over there on uh, Foxhole as well thank you very much i'm gonna go ahead and pass out these gold pills thank you guys for being here tomorrow night at 9 p.m i will be back with uh paul preston of the new California.
1: make will be unplugging yourself for big tech oh
0: hey <laughs> uh, it just started uh, looping the audio i'll be back tomorrow night at 9 p.m with paul preston of the new california state initiative uh so if you guys are interested in getting an update on what's happening with uh Paul and New California which will soon be the 51st state in our glorious union, and maybe they're going to solve all the problems for the people that are stuck there in California. Uh, definitely be here. Uh, and then uh, I sh- should have a special interview that's going to be coming out this weekend. I'll talk to you about that when I get it all finalized. But thank you once again, Jeff, for being here. Thank you, everybody, for hanging out with us tonight. Uh, the gold pills have been released. And till tomorrow, good luck and God bless. We'll see you then.